usually with kids ministry at the 10 a.m. Um, so I always enjoy um, coming into adult big church. Um, but we, when, when I first got married um, and I started talking to my husband about feelings and those sort of things, he, he said to me very quickly, he said, I don't really understand what you're saying. If you want me to understand a little bit better, use sports analogies. And so we've had some amazing sports analogies in our home. And, you know, you know things are getting bad when you feel like you're being, I don't know if you know those, if you could describe your life. Um, those tennis ball, the machines that just spew out ten, tennis balls and you're running around trying to hit. Um, sometimes I feel like that. But we've come up some, with some weird and wonderful ones. We even had a saying in our home that sprung from, a, this is a bit of a gory story, but he was watching um, a field event and the person was throwing javelin and the javelin landed in the person's foot. You know, the, I don't know what you call them, the person that does the measuring. And so we had a saying in our home, it could be worse, it could be a javelin, um, to put things in perspective because sometimes you think things are um, not going that well and it could be worse. <laughs> um, when, when we're trying to, um, and I think a sign of maturity um, is when we can, we can look at things um, from an outside perspective and understand what's going on. And that's why the whole sports analogy sometimes works well, if we can learn from it. And in fact, maybe you've had this experience when you're playing sport at school where the ref or your coach, usually it was in a coaching, coaching session, would blow their whistle, everyone had to freeze, and then they would talk about what you were all doing wrong, why you were in the wrong positions, and you know what you needed to do to change, and, um, and then you would have to act on that. And that was an advantage that the coach has. They have experience from standing on the outside. They also can see everything coming together. And then, um, and once again, a sign of maturity, because if you try and you've ever coached five-year-olds, we had a soccer league that we used to run here called Upward, and we used to teach um, primary school kids starting at five years old um, with grade R how to play soccer. The grade Rs cannot take instructions. So they would play, all of a sudden you'd say split up, you'd put them in their places across the field, and you would blow the whistle, next thing they were all on the ball, and the ball was just like this little magnet for five-year-olds. They couldn't take instructions. But as we grow older and wiser, in fact, who are the people that listen to their coaches the most? It's probably the people pay, playing for the Olympics, for the national teams, um, because they need to listen to every instruction. And so if we are wise, we will choose to listen to instructions. And when we look at the Bible, I'm going to be using a few sports analogies today, and we're going to just be pausing along the way to look at this game that is being played, not that life is a game, but to look at it like a game from the outside because we have the advantage of being able to read God's Word and see big picture what is happening and just pause and pay attention to it and then look at how we can apply it to our own lives. And so we're going to be looking at the um, Genesis chapter 26 in the life of Isaac, a little snippet from his life, and just to be looking at what is actually happening in that moment and what we can learn from it. So we're going to start at Genesis 26, verse 1, and we're going to carry on till 11 to start with. It says, Now there was a famine in the land beside the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines in Gerah. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I'll make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring all nations of the earth will be blessed. 
Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the, when the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister, because he was afraid to say, she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah, because she's beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this that you have done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And the first thing we see as we, as we step back and we go, what is happening? Um, and we, we get that look of, of what is happening in this dynamic. We see something quite interesting. We see Isaac going from the highest of highs to the depths of sin. And it can so easily happen to all of us. It's like he gets thrown this, this ball of blessing. He gets it to catch. God says, I'm going to use your family. I've chosen your family to carry my line. You're going to bring blessing to the nations. You're going to bring blessing to the earth. What an amazing thing. If God earmarked you and said those very words to you, he was the only person in the world at that time who was carrying, his family line was carrying this blessing. That was something so significant that we see in verse 6. But in verse 7, we see these words. We, he goes straight from that, God giving him this promise to, when the men of this place asked him about his wife, he said, she's my sister. He lied. He did something to protect himself. He stepped into sin. And so often, if you're anything like me, we can read these, these scriptures of, of people in the Bible who failed, who, who had a revelation from God and then would step straight into failure or into sin. And we from the outskirts kind of go, what on earth are you doing? You know, why did Adam and Eve take the apple? How did David sin so badly when God had chosen him and he had God's favor? Why did the person do this? And we, we get frustrated. I, I, you might have even done it with friends of yours who, who claim to be Christians and believers. And we stand on the outskirts and go, why did you do that? Yet we forget to realize that we are always one step away from doing that too. It is possible as a believer to be on the highest high with God and then just step off into the deepest valleys. And there was a book that I found very helpful in my own life. It's um, from someone called Gordon MacDonald, and it's Rebuilding Your Broken World. And it has just these beautiful nuggets of truth that I've summarized. And he talks about factors that predispose us to broken world experiences. And he talks about how we all have these broken world experiences. as Because we are humans, we have a sinful nature. It is a guarantee that we are going to experience brokenness in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. And he talks about some factors that we just need to keep our eye on. And the first one is the failure to recognize our sinfulness or our sinful potential. And there was a quote that he has from G.K. Chesterton. He says, the one spiritual disease is thinking that one is quite well. And there's so much truth in that. I don't know if you've ever had experiences yourself where you feel like you're on a mountaintop with God and, you know, I don't really have any big sins to repent of. And, you know, you may be walking a road with someone else and you go, thank goodness my life isn't in as much as a sham of a shamble as theirs is. That is often when we need to be cautious, when we one step away from, from stepping off the stage and falling into the ditch. And then the next thing he speaks about is an unguarded strength or an unprepared heart. 
Often if, if Satan can't catch us in our weaknesses, he actually goes for our strengths. And usually if he can attack us in our, in our strengths, he can destroy our whole life. We all know what our weaknesses are and we're trying to improve on them. But if he can get us in an area that we're strong in, that we're confident in, he can actually break us completely. If you think about any of the, there've been many pastors in the news in the last few years, high profile, mega churches, um, the sermons online, so their very words can be used against them. And um, it will often be in the things that these, these people have actually preached against and spoken out against, that is the area they have fallen. And they, you know, people will say that's a hypocrite, and I'd say that's a human being, that Satan will look for our, our unguarded strengths because it's the areas that we feel we don't really need to protect because we're strong in. And in the third factor, um, that often plays a part in immoral behaviors in one's environment of just being cautious about where we find ourselves. For Isaac, he was in a place where no one knew him. He could tell this lie and get away with it. Um, Gordon MacDonald was speaking about business trips or when we're going on holiday. Um, when he wrote this book, the, the hectic side of the internet hadn't kind of blown out of proportion, but just even what we do now behind closed doors can open ourselves up to a whole environment that no one knows about. And so to be careful of the environments that we, we find ourselves in. Um, then the next one that he speaks about is weariness or exhaustion. That sometimes when we're tired, that's a time for the devil to attack. And as adults here, we're carrying the weight of the world on our shoulders. There's so many responsibilities. There will come times where you are just absolutely exhausted and worn down. And those are also times to be careful. And in the fifth factor that he speaks about is um, behaviors or influences from the past. And he speaks about how we all carry brokenness, um, how we all, and you'll see even in Isaac's life, how just things from his family kind of come into, come into play. Um, but he speaks about unmet needs, unaddressed guilt, or untreated pain. And um, I always, I remember thinking as a child and teenager, teenager how adults must have it all together, and now realizing I was so clueless, if only I knew, um, if we had to stand here and people had to share their stories of their own brokenness, um, we would realize that, you know, as adults, sometimes actually things even get amplified because we're seeing, we, we've been carrying pain and brokenness for years. And so that can be something that the devil uses to just attack us, and we just feel like a failure because we haven't really dealt with things from our past. And so when we get into these situations, we're faced with a decision. Is this going to be a season where I allow God to minister and deal with my pain and my sin and my falling into this, the depths of despair? Or is it going to be a season where I just pretend nothing's happened and just carry on with it? And that is where we're faced with a choice. If you pretend nothing's happened, you won't know God's healing. And then the next thing we see in his life is just how when we are filled with faith, we elevate God. And we see that in Isaac's life. We see that in many other people in the, in the Bible. When, when they are walking in faith, God is elevated. When they are walking in sin, we elevate ourselves. And as we stand on the outskirts and we watch this game happening, we see someone who's actually selfishly just keeping the game to themselves. You're also like, you're not the hero on the court sort of thing, but you think you are. And... Um, if you look at these verses and just think about who is number one in Isaac's life, in verse 7, when the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister, because he was afraid to say, she is my wife. He thought the men of this place 
Um, the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she's beautiful. I'm more worried about myself than my wife because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is, and dropping down to verse 10, what is this that you have done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. Isaac is more concerned about himself than the community that he finds himself in. And you can see how in our own lives, just how when maybe there's a sin that you've been battling with and just how the, the deeper we get into it, the, the, the more we elevate ourselves and the, the less we care about others, even people who we probably said were dear to us. We, we don't care that we hurt them. We don't care of the, about consequences. We just carry on on this journey. Compare Isaac and what he's done to some of the people mentioned in Hebrews 11. In fact, Abraham and Isaac do get mentioned in Hebrews 11 further up, but not for this. Look at the way these people choose to live their lives that are commended in Hebrews 11 verse 36. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. And you look at how, the, how they are living. Those are people who chose to elevate God and suffer for his name's sake as opposed to elevating themselves. And I don't know about you, but those words and how these people lived puts fear in me because I don't feel like I'm strong enough to live my life in that way. But the more we walk with God and the more we choose to walk in faith, he empowers us to walk in that way, to be people of faith who lift him up. And if you look at, and at just where we need to take caution in our lives, um, it often is when by the world's standards we are thriving. When we are thriving at work, when we are thriving when it comes to wealth, what we possess, when we are thriving with the, the, the circles that we're in and the friends that we have and, and all the luxuries in life, the name that we have in a community, because often that is the time where sin can creep in, because we actually start to clutch at the world and hold on to these things more dearly. And maybe that's what Isaac was doing. He was just seeing his life as that important. Well, you don't know, you know, his exact reason. But if you think about it, God had given him this promise that he was going to preserve his family line. Maybe he started to think, well, I've got to protect myself. I've got to lie because my life is that significant. And we can often get like that. Well, everyone's depending on me. I'm a pillar in this community. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to be careful. I read a good quote by John Piper where he speaks about um, the fact that, that hard times and suffering um, weans us off our love for the world. And it's so true. If you face suffering in your life, it almost makes us desire heaven even more. It makes us desire God and because we know we need him. It makes us desire even the afterlife because we see um, the faults of this world. You only need to look at people who've gone down the road of elevating themselves, and it's usually celebrities and people in the media, and you see um, how they take their relationship with God and they're just always upgrading to the next kind of best religious experience because they think there's something more in it for them. And you see also just the way that they treat marriages and families and kids and friends and as something that's, that I can always upgrade. There's always something better for me out there. And so we need to be aware 
when we start to elevate ourselves. If you're the star of your show, if you're number one in your, in your story, that is a good caution. It's a good time to take a step back and say, I need to decrease so that he can increase. But it's not, not all doom and gloom. And the amazing thing is that God's promises still stand even when we fall. There's always redemption. And if you read in, in, um, in Genesis 26, verse 12, it says, Isaac planted crops in the land, and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich, and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. And thank goodness that... God offers redemption. He doesn't cast us off forever. If he has called you, he has the ability to keep you, to preserve you, to forgive you. And if we look at, there was a quote by Martin Luther, and he speaks about how, how we can often carry our own sins. And it's so true that, that sometimes even when God has forgiven us and God has allowed us to move forward, and he's, he's almost calling us out of the sin. He's calling us to walk in forgiveness. He's saying, you know, this time is over. There's redemption, but we actually hold ourselves back. And there's this beautiful quote by Martin Luther. It says, either sin is with you, lying on your shoulders, or it is lying on Christ, the Lamb of God. Now, if it is lying on your back, you are lost. But if it is resting on Christ, you are free and you will be saved. Now choose what you want. And he was speaking about salvation, but that analogy works so well um, just with our walk with God that, that often we're taking the sin and we're putting it back on ourselves. Once again, if it was a sports match, we, we kind of thinking it all depends on us when we don't realize that there's something bigger out there. There's a team out there that's there to support us and help us. And so we carry it by ourselves. God is good and his ways are, are beautiful. And we do this not because of who we are. It's God, he chooses to be faithful. And because he does not fault, his promises are true. Um, his purposes prevail. And you know what? It's not about us anyway. And I think that's probably the biggest lesson is that God wants to forgive you so that you can be a part of his kingdom, so that you can be a part of the community that just moves the gospel on. This is a story that actually is about him. Too often, even when we choose not to forgive ourselves, we often have an inflated opinion of ourselves that, that we are too big a part of the story. Sometimes we need to decrease a little and realize there's a bigger picture here that God is actually, he just needs the gospel to go out. It's his desire that none should perish. So you don't do anyone any favors by holding yourself back in sin of not forgiving yourself, of not allowing yourself to walk in freedom because God's got a work that he wants to do in your life and you need to accept it. And I think about the, the whole thing of once again growing in God and realizing it's not all about us. I've been trying to teach our three-year-old that it's not all about him. And I'll tell him one thing, and we'll go in one ear and out the other. You know, he will ask for something nice to eat, and I'll talk about how not everyone in the world has food, and then he goes, okay, but what's in the cupboard? Or, you know, that kind of, I was giving a lecture about playing with other friends, and then at the end of the day, I've, I've given him these pills and trusted that I've equipped him now to go and play with the new kid in the class. And then at the end of the day, I'm like, who did you play with? And the answer, he's same old friends. <laughs> and I realize it means nothing to him because he is the center of his universe and he will do as he pleases. That is a three-year-old behavior. If you're doing as you please, if you're not accepting that God wants to grow you, maybe you need to grow in maturity with God. 
because the story isn't just all about you. There's a bigger community that needs salvation, that needs God's truth in their lives, that needs lives transformed. And when you start to catch a glimpse of it, it it's something so exciting because it puts a brand new purpose in your life. And maybe sin is holding you back, and maybe this is a place where you need to stop and repent, but then also choose to go through a process of restoration. And when you see in the Bible just times that God restored people, it left people better off than before the sin, because now all of a sudden you have a real-world understanding of what people are grappling with, and you have a taste of God's beautiful forgiveness. There's something really beautiful about a person who has walked the journey of restoration. So also to find people who will walk that journey with you. The next thing we see is history repeating itself. And we see how story, some of the stories are kind of almost seem to be get, getting told over again. It's almost like a deja vu. Um, when you see some of the sins that Isaac performed that his father had done, as we see the dysfunction coming through the family, but also some goodness coming through. And so history is repeating itself in a good way, but it's also being rewritten in a beautiful way. I mean, history is repeating itself in a bad way, but also being rewritten in a beautiful way. And if we look at verse 14, it says, he talks about Isaac. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his, father serv- his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Now, if you know anything about the Abraham story, he also, there were war- territorial wars, water battles, um, a lot of issues around wells. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerah, where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father, Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up. Abraham died um, after Abraham had died, and he gave them the same name his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Gerah quarreled with those of Isaac and said, The water is ours. So he named the well Essek, because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. From there, he went up to Beersheba. That night, the Lord appeared to him and said, I'm the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant, Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. Then he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. That day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, we found water. He called it Sheba, and to this day, the name of the town is Beersheba. And so you almost see this beautiful abundance coming out. If you, if you read in the scriptures of just, and just get the image of water, it's a sign of just God's goodness, his sustenance, the Holy Spirit's abundance. And so and even if you look at the names of the wells and the significance, which we won't go into, but there's, there's beautiful imagery that comes through the Bible when it comes to water. And in fact, at the 8 o'clock service, um, John had just opened it up to pe- for people to read, and it was just scriptures of, of thirst and water and, and just speaking into that. And so it's a 
beautiful picture um, of just these wells being opened, um, this abundance that God is going to sustain this family line despite everything that's happened, despite the, the failures, despite the sins that get repeated, despite um, Isaac being like his father in so many ways. But as we learn from it too, um, we need to realize a few things about our own life is that we can be carrying things um, from our family line. Some people might say it's generational curses. Some might see, say it's learned behavior. Whatever it is, it actually doesn't matter. Sometimes we just carry sins that seem to be um, bear an uncanny resemblance to something that our parents, grandparents have done. And we need to change our family line. We don't need to leave, let those sins define us. And you might even think in your own life, maybe there's things where you just hear your parents um, coming through and, and you just realize, I've actually become them. I realized that the other day when I, when I told my son, I was like, once is funny, twice is silly, three times is a hiding. And so I didn't, we don't do hidings, don't worry. But um, <laughs> I don't want to land up in the newspapers for any hiding quotes. But this was something, John, I was like, where does that come from? And it was just because our little son was doing something over and over again and thinking it was still funny and it had kind of run its course. And so, um, and so, I was like, oh, shucks, I got that from my mom. She used to say that because it was so true. It was like by the third time, you actually will get a clap for what you've done because it's just not funny anymore. And, um, but, but the other things that I see in my family line, things that I see myself repeating that aren't good, and I need to take those and deal with them. And for you, the best thing you can do, if you're a parent, a grandparent, is to deal with them and to prayerfully, and I think it almost needs to be done on, on so many levels, spiritually, emotionally, even in the physical realm, just choosing to, to model different behavior. Because sometimes there are things that just get handed down that are dysfunctional. God's wanting to write a new story for our family and put new goodness in life. And he doesn't want to see us just tripping up in the same ways. And so he's got something new for us. And so, so often, and that's why I love the Living Free course, it's just looking at what's kind of keeping us trapped up and, and almost unblocking the wells and, and just letting something fresh and new come in and, and letting God write a fresh story. Um, but history is also in this family line being rewritten as God just starts to intercept and he starts to bring them into a new land and into a new place. He starts to show them their inheritance. And it's not for this family's sake, it's for his name's sake. And God wants to do something beautiful in your family. And it's something, it's such a, a pleasure and a blessing as a Christian to be able to go to the creator of the universe and go, God, what did you create me for? What did you create my family for? What are you doing? What do you want us to be in this community, in this land that you have, you have put us in, in this place that we find ourselves? Because we are now this family. If you are a believer and you, and you live in community, God has got a plan to affect the world, to bring the gospel out, and it's through all of us. And if we're not doing that, we're holding back on the plan. And so it's it, just for us to take our sin issue seriously, for us to take things that are holding us back seriously and to deal with them. And sometimes if you also want to know what those things are, it's quite interesting, but start by asking your kids. I also did that last week. And I was just praying through because I wasn't feeling like I was being a great mom. And I was saying, Lord, what are the attitudes that are kind of just keeping me, me stuck? And um, I had an idea. I was just talking to my son. So I'm like, Alexander, what, is it, what does mommy do that makes you sad? And I kind of got it. Actually told me already, so I don't know why I asked a three-year-old. But anyway, it was confirmation. He said, he said, when you get cross with me, and I realized that in the last few weeks, I'd been overtired. I'd got grumpy and snappy with the kids. I just wasn't making them feel 
Um, and I almost saw them responding better to Jono, which made me a little bit jealous. Um, but, and, and so I kind of wanted to up my ratings again. So it wasn't the purest motivation for prayer, but, um, but we're getting there. Um, but, but, I, but I went, and, and he so easy, he just put, kind of put his finger on the, on the problem. It was that I actually had anger, and I was just, it came through tiredness and just not tolerating, and, and little things. I mean, you can't expect the three-year-old. We don't have a perfect day always. So how can you expect a three-year-old to have a perfect day? But, you know, it was breaking things. I, I would have a bigger reaction and just things like that. And so I went before God and um, just prayed and repented because it was right. I'd lost the joy. I'd lost my gentleness and everything else that I just needed. And went before God and just asked for that back and just straight away changed my behavior, made a decision um, to just start weighing up every reaction and every word. So I just did it spiritual, physical, emotional. I, I kind of attacked all of them. And and just within 24 hours, there was a new dynamic in the home. And I realized just the power as an adult in the home that I have to affect the tone. And how God in a few hours can transform and change relationships. I know it's not always that easy, but sometimes it is. And sometimes we think because the journey is going to be difficult, we don't embark on it. When God just wants to make little changes along the way. And that is the beauty of being in his kingdom. You need to realize that you don't just carry sinful nature. You carry a Christ-likeness. God is going to do work in you. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit for good works that will happen in your family, in your community, and in your life. And then the last one, just to throw in, um, as I end off, is that it's just a slightly more frivolous point, but that being an adult is hard work. And that's what I see from the life of Isaac, is that being an adult isn't easy. And it's amazing if you think about it that we do carry the weight of responsibility for the world, for the workplace, for the community. Um, if you think about it, the, the world rests on adults. And so that's what makes being a child so carefree. But once you transition into being an adult, you realize that there are difficult things that we're going to face every day. If you look at the life of Isaac, it wasn't this hunky-dory. He was now chosen, and everything fell into place. It seldom happens like that because we're living in a broken world. But God entrusts us with the job. If you think about it just in the, in the picture of the game again, you are the, the captain, the coach, the whatever. God has entrusted you because he sees something in you that he can use. That is why you are here today, because God has chosen you and he sees something significant in you. And maybe you're here and you haven't even stepped into relationship with God. I would say it's by no accident that you're here today, that maybe God is calling you. Well, not maybe, he is calling you to come to himself because he sees something in you that he can use. Even if there's been failure, if there's been sin, if there's been something else that has defined you your whole life, God is calling you to come and submit to him. And if we just to end off with, if we think about the biggest thing that trips us up, it is unbelief and not taking God at his word. And my one challenge to you is just to pick up your Bible and start taking God at his word again. And we think we all do, but if you've been a Christian for a while, probably our biggest, our biggest challenge is to really read those words as if they're fresh words and to take them to heart. And so we owe it to God to take his word and to act it out, to believe it with all our hearts. If you think about the very first sin, what does happens in the Garden of Eden? Um, the serpent comes and, and tempts and says, did God really say that? And that is a problem that we all have, that, that question, does God really mean it? Does that scripture really mean I need to have integrity, that I can never lie, that I can never do this? Yes, it does. And we need to start honoring God for his word. And it's interesting because I 
why um, just when Aki was talking about healing, God had also just prompted me to share a little bit about my, just something that I had been through in the last um, few months. And I kind of was like, Lord, I'm reluctant. But um, as she said, I also felt like, like God also wants to just heal some of us and that maybe we're just needing to take him at his word when it comes to healings and not just physical, but emotional and spiritual healing too. And I really do believe he wants to unleash healing. And something that happened in my own life, um, just after pregnancy, I just had a terrible season where I didn't realize it, but I had developed anxiety. And I thought that it was something that was physically wrong with me. So I kept on going to the doctor. I was trying to explain symptoms. And it was a very strange sort of anxiety because in the day I'd be perfectly fine. So I'd come to work, be absolutely 100%, but I'd go home and I'd fall to pieces as the night went on. And I'd be shivering and cra like it would just feel so crazy. My heart would be palpitating. So I was convinced I had a heart issue. Um, I landed up in the emergency room about two or three times, went to the doctor a couple of times, and I was waiting for a diagnosis or something that was wrong with me. And so I prayed over and over again. I was like, Lord, I actually cannot live with this. This is way too painful for me. This journey has just become too hard. And so I just kept on surrendering to God and just going, I cannot live with this. Everything I'm trying is not working. And went through a year last year of just terrible, just, you know, dealing with immense pain. And I don't know exactly what the trigger was, but a few months ago, um, I, was, I was at home and just went, Lord, I've tried medication, tried everything, still battling with this, and just had had a particularly bad night. And the whole family had gone to sleep, so I just sat in the lounge and I was just praying. And all of a sudden, God showed me something I needed to repent of. And it actually had to do with something that involved death. And so I, I, I just repented then and there. And I cannot tell you I felt it lift, like I felt an instantaneous healing like I've never felt in my life before, and I've been anxiety-free for the last few months. And people couldn't believe it. They were like, but is it not coming back a little bit? And, and kind of testing, but it was lifted. And in that moment, as it was taken, it was replaced with complete joy. And so God is God. He's faithful. I cannot explain it any other way. Um, you can go look at my medical records if you want to. I, I felt like I was losing it. But God had a plan in it, and it just involved me stepping into repentance, stepping into giving the Holy Spirit free reign in my life. You know what the crazy thing is? A few weeks ago, um, I, I felt led to pray, pray for someone for healing, and all of a sudden I went, I don't know if I can believe in healing. And, and, I, and I kind of was like, and I, and I had this conflict of going, I was healed a few months ago, yet I'm battling to believe. And isn't that the, the problem that we face, is that we're seeing all these things that are part of the kingdom, yet we don't always want to step into them completely, and we're battling with unbelief the whole time. That is a road that we have to navigate, but it's one that we need to commit to winning if God is going to have his way in our journey and in our story. And the more you see people surrendering their lives to God, it's usually because they've chosen to spend time in the Word, spend time in prayer, and take God at his Word and believe what he said. And so that's my challenge for you. And so we're going to be, we're going to be doing something, um, we're going to be ending with a baptism, so if I can invite the worship team up, um, we're going to be doing a song. But at the end, because we are closing with a baptism, but if you still want prayer for something, if you still want prayer for healing, and not just a physical healing, but if there's something spiritual, emotional, a sin issue, 
or a hurt issue, an anger issue, whatever it is that you feel you're needing healing from, please stay behind afterwards and we'll just have a time of ministry where you can just come and we can lay hands on you and trust God for what He's going to do. And just a reminder, this is such a message of hope. It's a beautiful story of someone who was just like you and me. So let's pray. Lord, we so long for you to do a new thing in our community, in our lives, in our hearts. We trust you because in the story of Isaac, we see how you're a good and faithful father. And Lord, that it's not all about us, that there's a bigger spiritual thing happening here, Lord. We know you have a plan for this community of the, in the Constantia Valley, in Cape Town, Lord, that you can use this church to rise up and be counted. And so, Lord, we want to be people that rise up and are counted for you. We don't want to waste our lives getting caught in sin, getting stuck in sin and unrepentance, getting stuck in unbelief, Lord. We want to be free. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll release just a, a new freedom on us as a community, Lord, that we'll find a peace as we walk with you, that we'll find a new way, Lord, that you'll direct our paths. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you that we can stand outside the Bible and, and have an insight into how people grappled with their relationship with you. And Lord, we know it's not always easy, but it's completely worth it. And so we surrender and we say, Lord, you are so worth it. More than that, Lord, we so want to be part of your kingdom advancing here on earth. So Lord, we just pray whatever it is that you need to do in our lives, please do it and have free reign. Amen.